You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Welcome to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. Folks, um, this week I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the fantastic, fabulous, wonderful, knowledgeable Paula Me, author and dietitian. I worked with Paula years and years and years ago when I first started out my career and I haven't seen her for a couple of years. So it's great to have her in the podcast. How's it going? It's great to be here, Carl. Thank you. So your new book, uh, Mediterranean Mood Food, it tells us all about anxiety, depression, mood related disorders and how we can improve um, those symptoms with food with and food. eating better. Yeah. Tell us a bit more about it. And I suppose it's not meant to replace medicines um, or other, you know, psychological interventions, but it is a good adjunct treatment for anxiety and depression. And we see an awful lot more. In fact, I wouldn't think there's a family in Ireland that isn't touched in some way by depression or anxiety or other mental disorders. So it's very prevalent. That's the first thing. And um, the second thing is there was uh, there's a growing amount of evidence now in the scientific literature, which which suggests that the diet is key in fundamental reasons in terms of affecting our mood and our behaviour even around food. So um, I suppose, you know, a couple of years ago when I was writing my second book, The Gut Feeling, I started to research a little bit more into how the gut was connected to the brain. And I found that fascinating, you know, and I found the whole area um, in particular of the microbiota, in other words, the group or the uh, what's growing um, in your gut albeit, you know, mainly bacterial. Um, it is also made up of viruses and sometimes pathogens. You know, all sorts of things grow there. And this symbiotic relationship we have with this organism. So they need us and we need them. And um, we we benefit together, really. So I found it fascinating in that that group of bacteria or certain groups of bacteria can actually influence how we think and our mood and also make certain decisions around food even, you know. So um, gut feeling was about IBS. It was about irritable bowel syndrome. And we know as well that, you know, when we're treating IBS, we look at uh, food, obviously, because people with IBS have hypersensitive guts Mm -hmm. and they... um, they are affected by certain types of FODMAP foods. So foods with certain types of carbohydrates that are not easily digested by them. And they ferment in the colon. They cause problems in many patients. And so we have a special diet which helps those types of patients. But with that, I kind of started looking into the probiotics that you could possibly use with different types of patients, whether they had diarrhea or constipation and how they affected people, Um, not just uh, their tummy symptoms, but also maybe their mood as well. And so we know that when we're treating IBS, we need to take into account somebody's emotional health as well as what they eat. The two are very connected. So how a person thinks or how much stress they're under or how resilient they are, you know, at certain times when they may feel a bit over or underwhelmed, all of that affects their gut mobility. So how quickly that peristaltic muscle is moving and with that, how quickly the food is moving Mm -hmm. through the gut and sometimes how quickly um, it is digested or not, as the case may be. So we do find that um, when we're looking at IBS patients, we need to look after not just what they eat, but also help them with mental stress 
you know, and because it is a trigger for symptoms and it can cause them to feel very unwell. You know, they can feel bloated, um, distended. They can suffer from changes in bowel function, all of that kind of thing. So that was, I suppose, how I initially started becoming interested in the microbiota. And subsequently, I heard uh, Professor Ted Dynan talk about this. Mm -hmm. He's the professor of psychiatry in UCC and he's also attached to the Microbiome Institute in Cork. And they're very much the, 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 I was going to say the, the market leader. <laughs> market leader is not, not quite the word. <laughs> the, uh, nearly a global leader in research for microbiotics and, and pre and pros and all of that. Yes, they're really cutting edge down there and uh, they have a, a, you know, a global presence now. You know, they're well known as publishing publishers in terms of, you know, people's propensity to anxiety and depression as well. And that's one of their areas of interest. Um, now, an awful lot of the studies are still at animal stage. You know, um, it is difficult to carry out this. And the, the I suppose the literature is growing, but at a slow and steady space, mm -hmm. uh, pace. Um, but I heard Ted Dynan speak in, uh, actually it was um, in, where was it? It was uh, Doreen Allen's. Oh, Ballymaloo. Ballymaloo. Yeah. And he was wonderful the way he spoke about diet and how he used that as an adjunct therapy for treating depression and anxiety. And I was very impressed with his holistic approach. I know we kind of see that as a woo-woo word, but it was yeah. very holistic. You know, he used cognitive therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy and, and all sorts of medications, of course. But he, he felt that he saw an absolute difference in his uh, patients when he fundamentally tackled dietary issues. And so I became very interested in looking at the Mediterranean diet in particular, which he was talking about, and its connection to reducing our risk of anxiety and depression. And of course, you know, when we talk about the Mediterranean diet, like it dates back to 5000 to 2000 BC. And, you know, the defining ingredients at that stage were wheat, wine and olive oil, as well as wildly griefy, leafy vegetables, that type of thing, and a few legumes. And then um, 60 years ago, the traditional Cretan Mediterranean diet was first described in the scientific literature by Ansel Keys. And basically, they were investigating the link between diet and lifestyle behaviours and death from coronary heart disease and all causes of mortality. And it was called the seven uh, country study. Now, the researchers found that the group from Crete in particular had almost no deaths from coronary heart disease. And uh, this was after a 15 year follow up, you know, so it was very significant. They also lived very long, healthy lives, you know. And, and CBD is one of the big killers, the biggest killer in Ireland, of course, isn't it? CBD it's it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, you know, I suppose we're getting better at treating it. But, you know, uh, our and sorry, diet... For, uh, listeners, but it's a cardiovascular disease cardiovascular is, 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 is CBD. So basically heart attack, stroke risk. Stroke are the big uh, killers in Ireland and they yet are. Crete had a zero uh, a zero death so yeah they they, they definitely had little or no heart disease you know in wow. this particular um, published work and it was then that researchers really started focusing on well, what was it that was particular about this type of diet and lifestyle and of course it was underpinned by a lot of exercise which we we don't see today <laughs> which you're trying to tackle yourself but but also fundamentally their diet was unrefined you know it was made up of um, lots of carbohydrate, almost peasant type food like legumes and wild greens, very, very little meat, 
because that was expensive and it was not, uh, you know, something that they ate on a weekly basis. It was more a monthly type food. But they did have things like a game and wild goat, like if they were eating that type of food and, you know, herb infused lamb, you know, was something that, you know, they would have enjoyed occasionally. A little bit of poultry, but much more fish. So fish was much more prevalent in their diets because obviously, you know, there's a lot of coastal area in that in Greece. So we we see a difference fundamentally in the key macronutrients between the traditional Mediterranean diet and what we presently eat and enjoy. Okay, and macronutrients then are? Macronutrients would be the fats that we eat, the carbohydrates and the proteins. Yeah, really a big difference. And so um, this particular diet, this traditional Mediterranean, Mediterranean diet was very much equated to a reduced risk of cardiovascular disease, but also diabetes and um, things like certain types of cancers, like colorectal cancer. And um, Recently, you know, studies have shown that adherence to this type of diet as well will also improve your risk from suffering from things like Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's and dementia um, and anxiety even. So there's a lot more research now, I suppose, into that area, the the cognitive function and the neurodegenerative diseases, because we're suffering from a lot of these with increased stress and with our inability to remain active and of course, we know that that's such a brilliant foil for stress. You know, if we can get out and pound the pavement or, you know, do some exercise, it, it helps to dissipate it like it does if we have people to share our problems with. But mm-hmm. because we're now working the way we are, we're often isolated in communities. We don't have that network of support um, and we don't have the ability to build in time to exercise the way we used to. So it takes a huge, uh, I suppose, amount of preparation to do that. And, and that's what we want to let people know about because we can do this. It is a challenge, but we can reverse our lifestyle related diseases. We absolutely can reduce our risk of heart disease, cancer, diabetes, if, and it's a big if, but if we can change and tackle our inactivity, our diet pattern, and also, you know, our stress uh, management. Those are the three big things. I'm not going to talk about smoking, obviously, because we all know the dangers <laughs> of that. Um, but, you know, when it comes to diet, we know that what we eat nowadays, you know, the Western typical diet is very pro-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So it can actually cause a low-grade systemic inflammation. And... Um, That is because it promotes the wrong type of bacteria growing in the gut and they produce these toxins, which now we know they don't stay in the gut. They actually can get into the blood and travel and cause disease in certain parts of the body. Um, And certain bacteria, if they're starved in the gut, they're important for regulating our immune system. And if we don't feed them, our immune system really is dysregulated. You know, it's not operating the way it should. And it can make us more susceptible to things like autoimmune disease, of which there are many today. Now, I'm not saying that your diet is causing, you know, or is the sole cause of celiac disease and all of the different autoimmune diseases that we have, like MS, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease. All of these are, you know, are, are underpinned by inflammation um, and it's we don't know the full etiology or the full causal uh, factors behind these diseases but we know that what we eat can change what's growing in the gut that in turn can be good or bad for us and can raise or lower our risk of disease depending on how 
it, uh, how it affects the immune system. So the thing about inflammation is it's a normal response. So when we eat, there's going to be a little bit of inflammation in the gut. That's normal. Um, but we should be able to turn off that inflammation then. And we should be able to take the nutrients from the gut and get them into the bloodstream and feed the tissues that, you know, because we're basically built up of macronutrients and micronutrients. We need, and all of our tissues, everything within us is made up of carbs, proteins, fats, um, and, and also obviously the micronutrients are terribly important, like vitamins, minerals. But what has happened, I think, in the last number of years is we very much focused on nutrients. So like we would focus on things like carbs. Are carbs good or bad? And we'd be drilling down into, you know, the scientific literature looking for answers. But what we realize is that you can't really get a good picture of people's health by looking and isolating at one or two nutrients. We have to look at patterns of food. That's how people eat. And by far the most researched pattern of eating is the Mediterranean diet. And we absolutely have conclusive evidence that can protect us from disease like cardiovascular disease. And it's now really becoming well established that we can affect our mental health as well through this type of diet. So before we get on to that, talk to me about the typical issue or the typical uh, Western diet problems that people yeah. all around the country, all of our listeners, uh, make. Okay. What are the normal ones? What are the common ones? Uh, presumably processed food is a biggie, obviously. Yeah, you know, when your food isn't fresh, it's going to be, it's going to have additives in it. And some of the additives that we know now, um, they're kind of under scrutiny, like, for example, emulsifiers and artificial sweeteners. They're being looked at more closely now because it's felt by some scientists that their research is showing that that actually changes adversely what's growing in the bowel and it can be put it can cause inflammation and put us at risk of disease so they're really scoping down now to, you know into the various different types of artificial sweeteners obviously there are many some of them probably are benign have no effect but others may may be a problem so when we're eating processed foods, uh, we have to look at what happens to the food along the way. So, for example, processed meat is not a good idea because, and again, they don't fully understand this, but it does seem to raise our risk of certain types of cancers. Mm -hmm. um, so even the way we prepare now, we're coming into barbecue <laughs> barbecue season yeah, yeah. where people will be taking out their grills and they'll be charcoaling everything and it'll be fabulous we'll all be sitting out in the sunny evenings and you know enjoying food which is what we're meant to be doing but you know even some of the ways we prepare meat and burn, on the grill the burning of meat yeah, isn't it? yeah yeah so it can denature the protein and it can cause carcinogens and and you know in some shape or form that that's putting us at risk so we know that a very processed diet is not good for us so um the other thing that we know is that, you know, the types of fats are critical. It's not about a low fat or a no fat diet. We absolutely need fat, um, but we need the right balance of fats. And there are some that are detrimental to health, like trans fats mm -hmm. and excess saturated fat. So trans fats would be found in anything that has a very shel long shelf life, long shelf life, airplane food, <laughs> that type of thing, <laughs> fried food. <laughs> um, you know, you might have a very healthy oil at room temperature. It's liquid, but when you harden it or hydrogenate it. Yeah, it that's a, so trans, it's hydrogenated is the other name for it. It's just, yes. Yeah, so it's trans or hydrogenated fat. So if you see that on a label, put it back. Put it back. Yes. <laughs> put it back. Um, uh, th they are not good for us at all. And I suppose people, you know, don't tend to read labels when they're in a rush and, you know, they're busy. Uh, we know that some people who do read labels don't understand them, you know, so we've got to make this easier for people. But anyway, um, so the the balance of fat, so excess saturates and trans are the bad ones. We need to kind of 
switch over to more polyunsaturates, which are found in things like oily fish, which mm-hmm. a lot of Irish people do not eat. They don't like. So again, oh really, you Hands don't off. you don't no. like <laughs> I smoked love, salmon? I, I, no, I love no. fish, white fish, but yeah. prawns, smoked salmon, sard- uh, sardines, yeah. mac- wow. any of that kind of eat Right, okay, yeah. wow, okay. Well, one thing I would say to you, sea bass might be oh, yeah. something for something. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, even though it's a white fish, it has some omega-3. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's a really protective type fat as well. And and the other type, um, the other things that you could include would be um, some sea vegetables, you know, so, again, anything like algae, you know, even... Sea vegetables. Yeah, they're called sea vegetables now. And you will see a huge number of these appearing on the supermarket shelves in the next 10 years. We will really? be using them every day. Yeah, because we, again, the literature is building on this. And there's so many protective effects from using these types of things instead of salt, which can put us at risk of stroke. Mm-hmm. And when you think of... The older population, me being one of them, the over 50s, like one in two people over 50 will have a high blood pressure. One and in two. One in two. And right. salt, you know, is responsible for some, but not all of that. So some people, salt will have no effect on them. And again, this might be to do with what's growing in their gut, their microbiota. Other people respond, you know, badly to salt and, and it, it will increase the risk of stroke. Is it true then that uh, table salt, taking the table yeah. salt off the table... Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I would. And put the chili flakes on or the oh, yeah. pepper, yeah. you know, the black pepper. That would be great. Um, so capsicum and spices. And yeah. 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 Okay. Now, I mean, obviously, if you're eating largely fresh food and you're, you know, you're a good chef in the kitchen and you're using it sparingly, you know, instead of putting bucket loads of salt into everyone's <laughs> because you can develop a taste for it. And, you know, when you do that, you kind of need more and more to get that taste. <laughs> also, we see that older people as well, because they lose their ten- their sense of uh, smell, they can't taste their food very well. So they kind of tend to lash on the salt, which might not be very good if they're if they have high blood pressure. You know, so again, I think in, in 10, 15 years time, we might be able to know what's growing in every individual's gut you know there may be that technology there um, and we may be able to give them very tailored personal advice in terms of nutrition some people may have to reduce salt others they may not you know but certainly the fats are important and the other thing about our gut microbiota and inflammation is that carbs are really important now when you think of the the western style diets a lot of them were targeting carbs Mm -hmm. in the last while they were saying no carb or low carb and actually we know that that is not good for the microbiota because um, the bacteria in your gut if they're starving if they're not fed fibers which only come from carbohydrate like you you won't get fiber in fats and you won't get fiber in protein like meat and fish or eggs you'll only get fiber in carbs and so if we don't get enough carbs some of those bacteria actually start to attack the mucous membrane and start consuming it because that's made of carbohydrate and Therefore, the bacterial population nudge closer to the human cells and that's not a good idea and that's where our immune system comes into play and sometimes we start attacking ourselves, you know, with that immune confusion. Um, so... Okay, so processed foods, trans fats, salt, trans fats. reduce them in, in your diet. And highly refined carbohydrates. Okay. Yeah, so switch from the highly refined white carbs to something that's whole grain and good high fibre carbs. Colourful. Yeah. So from white to white to brown or white to colourful. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So 
Um, that's the the simple stuff in terms of the everyday, the, the Western diet. Now we're going to have a look at the Mediterranean diet and the simple things that people can can take um, from that diet and add into their own day. And folks, as always, you're listening to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. I think you'd agree this is fascinating stuff. Time we're already twenty minutes in, we're we're flying along. Um, the content is fascinating, and it comes from experience, and it's why I was delighted to have you in because I've known you such a long time, yeah. and you're a fountain of knowledge, and you're just pouring that. <laughs> knowledge out so it's, we'll keep going this is great yeah. um so let's okay so let's talk about the mediterranean diet and what are the easiest takeaways from that um if okay. that's the right word i suppose the the one takeaway that i'd like to leave people with this image of is that if you're eating a flexitarian um in other words like a, a flexible type diet uh having meat occasionally but more fish and lots of plant-based foods what you're looking for is really a plant to animal food ratio of four to one, four to one. So by weight, we're looking at weight. So four times the amount of plant foods as opposed to animal foods. That's a very good type diet. Whereas what we're eating at the moment is a ratio of one to one, one part plant, one part animal. OK, so what we really need to do is make a conscious effort to look at each plate, whether it's breakfast, lunch or tea and say, where's the plant food? Where is the food for the microbiota? So we're not just feeding ourselves and our mm-hmm. tastes, our taste buds. We're feeding a colony of bacteria which can actually help to protect us against disease or put us at risk of disease. That's what we know now. So in our interest, we we must look at plates now and say, where are the plants? So at breakfast time, it might be, you know, grilled tomato or mushroom. It might be a little bit of avocado or spinach with your eggs. Mm -hmm. You know, it might be some berries over your porridge, you know, and then it's easy enough to get some salad vegetables in. Now, a lot of people are preparing them, but try and get some legumes in as well if you can, because these are both fibre rich and protein rich. And legumes are? Peas, beans and lentils. So anything that's made from kind of chickpeas, uh, broad beans, cannellini beans. So you could have a soup, you could have a, you could have a a sort of a a dip, an aubergine kind of a a chickpea dip. Or hummus or something like that. Hummus, yeah, absolutely. Anything like that would be brilliant. Okay. Um, So the first thing is, where are the plants on the plate? And then the other uh, dietary patterns that are abundant in the Mediterranean diet. Um, I've written 10 pillars really um, in my most recent book, which I know you're going to mention, but the the 10 pillars would be about making sure that you have the right type of fat. So again, it's not about no fat. It's about cooking mainly with things like extra virgin olive oil. And actually you can save the extra virgin olive oil for your dressings and your dips, but have your ordinary olive oil or your rapeseed oil then for the pan if you need to pan fry something. Um, That's important. So have the right type of fat. Then fruit and vegetables at every meal, you know, and we can't really omit them from breakfast because we've got to get so much of them in. So the (laughs) <laughs> the target used okay. to be on, five a day. Oh, I know it's seven now, isn't it's it? It's seven yeah. now, you know, okay. and that's difficult. And I, I don't really understand why we've increased those because people were very, you know, finding it difficult and struggling with five. So I'm hoping that people aren't being turned off now and on when they're seven, told to take seven. <laughs> give me a fruit count on that. So I would go two to three fruit yeah, okay. and the rest veg. Okay, yeah, great. Three fruit, you know, and that could be one with your breakfast, one as a snack or one, one two as a snack, you know, yeah. or one as a dessert or whatever, you know. Um, in the Mediterranean type diet, a lot of their desserts um, were based on local uh, seasonal fruits, you know. So when they were um, mulberries and apples and things like that, citrus fruits, when they were, you know, ripe, they 
you know, the dessert was based around those types of, of fruits. Okay. Um, so fruit and vegetables, you're looking at over 400 grams per day, which means nothing to people, but at an average serving would be about 80 grams, you know, so, okay. you know, minimum of, of 400 if we can. So that's five. If, if minimum I was, if of I was to break that down, because I know people always talk about me, yeah. uh, meat in fistfuls, you know, so oh, it's right, like the okay. fistful of meat or whatever for, yeah. for you know, for a steak or for a portion yes, of meat. Yeah. If I was to say to our listeners, okay, well, let's break the f- roughly 400 grams down and say fistfuls of vegetables or in terms of visual quantities. Yeah, well, roughly? I suppose it's hard. It's hard with, with, it? yeah. it's hard with the spinach because, you know, you could take two fistfuls <laughs> and they'd reduce to nothing, <laughs> you know. Um, but but I suppose the department, actually the foods, the Food Safety Authority of Ireland and the um, Safe Food, uh, those two bodies, I think, have done a lot of work in the last number of years and have recently published um, some guidelines but they okay. use cups you know the polystyrene oh, yeah. cups yeah, yeah. and they kind of use those types of cups as measurement now again I don't have a plastic cup at home so <laughs> it wouldn't be much use for, to yeah. me but if you really want to understand portion sizes you know that would be one way of just getting one of those plastic cups and seeing but what I like to think about is half the plate oh, yeah, yeah visually half yeah. the plate vegetables um, and if you're having a sandwich you know it's two slices of bread um, or the equivalent of carbohydrate make it whole grain um, one not two one protein and sometimes have it plant protein as opposed to animal protein because okay. you know in Ireland traditionally we might we might have uh, cheese and ham sandwich on white bread with some crisps yeah. that's not going to cut it for the <laughs> for a <laughs> good microbiota <laughs> now I know it might still be kind of stuck in some people's <laughs> favourites but I think a lot of us have moved away from that we know yeah, the importance of just you know getting in some peppers or radishes or you know the whole okay. myriad so of pick colour. one protein source so if you're having one a sandwich it's, it's it's your whole grain bread your brown bread brown rolls whole yeah. grain rolls stuff like that Yeah, one protein have, source and you then can have a bit of fish if you want you can like a lot of people like tuna or salmon smoke you know not smoked salmon but um tin salmon if they if you want um those types of things you can have um hummus or dips uh, made with legumes you could have like a bean salad you know with with some cheese you mm-hmm. know so th- there's lots of different ways that you can do that and um and then with your evening meal a half a plate of vegetables you know does that kind of give you an idea yeah then? no it's <laughs> basically every meal you have so breakfast lunch dinner should have half a plate of veg or half a por- half whatever you're eating of veg at least yeah, if possible. Now, at, yeah. at, at breakfast, you can count your porridge as plant food. Yeah. Because that's oat, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I think anyway, you know, we're quite busy during the week. So a lot of people find it easier to grab a good foundation food like porridge and just mix it up mm-hmm. during the week uh, or chia seeds, pots or things like that. And then have the eggs at the weekend. Yeah. You know, have less animal food, you know, and have those as treats at the weekend. as a brunch. So it's not quite a vegetarian diet but no, we're but close it's, enough it's, to it it is yeah it's kind of more flexitarian. Um, flexitarian so you know you can enjoy meat foods uh, like red meat maybe three times a week um, you know in the Mediterranean diet I really I'm basing this on the traditional diet and they have it monthly so they have three times a month the farmers yeah. are going to love you yeah I know no they, <laughs> they already hate me I'm I'm well used to that but 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 you know unfortunately that's what you know okay. our planet requires our planet requires us to eat less meat yeah you know, our, it is one of the biggest contributors to our problems, our environmental problems, mm-hmm. um, the, the production of food. OK, so it's not just meat, it's agriculture in general. Yeah. And we need better ways to do that. And we can't do that, you know, separate to our own health. We've got to marry the health agenda, you know, with the environmental sustainability. So, so in terms of dinners, I know there's uh, there's 70 or so recipes in your book, but roughly in terms of dinners. So we've looked at lunches, we've looked at breakfast. Yeah. 
dinners so, then again you're looking at stir fries whole grain rice whole grain pasta yeah egg potatoes. dishes sometimes sweet potatoes yeah I mean there's, there's they're just endless but a lot of fish if you can get like ideally what you're looking for is one white fish um, and one oily fish as a minimum now for you if you hate you know if you hate salmon have two you know have a sea bass instead of the next best thing yeah. tuna fish recently actually since I produced the book um, and the copy had to be in at the end of last year since then the UK have taken tuna fish off the oily fish list because they've now suggested that according to their data it doesn't really have sufficient levels of omega-3 to warrant it being called an omega-3 rich fish so it still has a lot of vitamin D and low vitamin D is is um, equated to a higher susceptibility to depression. Okay. So, you know, even in the TILDA study here in Trinity College, they found that elderly people with the lowest vitamin D levels, they were most at risk of depression and anxiety. Yeah. And, well, and could you tie that in then very loosely, uh, Dr. Eddie Murphy? I know you're listening and you can vote to me if I do anything too crazy. Uh, but in terms of when the weather's good, sunny weather, we vitamin D, yeah. we feel good, people are in better form, people, yeah. there's, there's a spark in people when the sun's out. We saw it last week or two weeks ago when the sun was out here. Everyone's always in better form. Yeah. Bad people are in worse form. Yeah, absolutely, and we see it in the winter. People are more sus- susceptible to uh, succumbing to things like SAD, SAD, mm-hmm. which is seasonal affective disorder. You know, where they're not getting the sunlight. So yes, vitamin D, we make it through the action of sunlight on our skin. We would say have, um, you know, uh, obviously this isn't blanket advice. You know, it depends on your family history and whether you've had, uh, you know, any kind of melanoma in the family. But if you can expose your skin early, not at the, you know, not at noon. Um, you know, but early in the day for 15 minutes during the summer months, you can generally make some vitamin D. Oh, yeah. And if you have a bit of a sun holiday, that's great to top up early before you put on your sun factor. You know, then you can store vitamin D in the liver over the winter months. But a lot of people in Ireland will not be making sufficient vitamin D from the action of sunlight on their skin. And if they're not eating the natural sources of vitamin D, which are oily fish and egg. <laughs> Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Now egg is a poor source in comparison to oily fish. Yeah. Very poor. And then if they're not having fortified foods like fortified milks, they are at risk of vitamin D S- deficiency. Super milks or mega milk yeah, or whatever, yeah. Okay. That, those types of milks. So um, because we have an issue, I think some of the food manufacturers are realising that it's a nice fit with calcium containing foods like milk. You know, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I suppose, to to measure your vitamin D if you feel that y- your mood is affected because your food really impacts on what's growing in the gut mm-hmm. and what's growing in the gut will also determine how much of your neurotransmitters you're making. So we kind of think of serotonin as the happy hormone. It's made in the brain, but actually most of it is made in the in the gut. And if the bacteria aren't there to make sufficient serotonin, uh, then, you know, that's going to affect our mood as well, you know. And, um, yeah, we see we see that the, the chronic inflammation has been a huge part of this disease, this disease risk. And so anything that is anti-inflammatory, like anti-inflammatory foods, like the uh, berries that we maybe talked about and, and all of the colourful fruit and vegetables that we were just mentioning, they all have antioxidants, which not only um, help with oxidative stress at cellular level, but they also are anti-inflammatory. So they help us to Mm. regulate the immune system and and stop inflammation. That's low-grade, long-term systemic inflammation, which is found in, in, uh, to underpin some diseases. Um, So we've mentioned, we've mentioned legumes, we've mentioned fish, we've mentioned meat, whole grains, you know, don't cut them out, you know, don't have a no-carb diet, feed the good bacteria, feed them fibres, because we don't, 
digest fibres. We don't get any calories from fibre, but it goes right down into the colon where the, these um, bacteria use the fibres to thrive. OK, so the good guys thrive on the fibre. And if we have a very low fibre diet, which the Western diet is you know, pretty poor in um, mm -hmm. when you consider that we on average would get 12 grams of fibre, but we need 25 to 30 grams of fibre. So wow. we're 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 poor. And, and that is definitely affecting the diversity, the number of species of protective bacteria in the gut. And I suppose Cork, Inst the, the, the Microbiome um, Institute of Cork, they, they would certainly say that a reduced diversity of bacteria is going to put you at increased risk of, of uh, you know, d depression and, and anxiety. So eat more colourful foods, a wider variety of mm. foods, change your diet, you know, eat as much in your diet that's different yeah. uh, as you can. Yeah, and include a few uh, fermented live foods oh, as yeah. well. Yeah, so anything that's fermented, I mean, traditionally in this country we would have had buttermilk and yoghurt and, <clears throat> and I suppose, you know, uh, in the Mediterranean lands they would have had a lot of different types of cheeses like I didn't really realise that ricotta is a fermented cheese yeah, yeah and um, sometimes there are little or no live bacteria by the time we get to eat the food mm -hmm. so for example sourdough bread it is a fermentation process that's used but there are no bugs left you know no healthy bugs left in the bread because it's it's heated to such a high temperature but um, other people are eating things like kimchi now and oh, yeah. um, Sauerkraut. Uh, sauerkraut and yeah, all There's a really good West Cork sauerkraut company and I'm trying to think of the name <laughs> of them. Uh, it might oh, yes, just I'm, be the West Cork The West Cork fermented, uh, food. fermented foods. That's it. Yeah, I think it's in, I th Anyway, it's I'm, they're, Bantry, they're, yeah. they don't sponsor me or endorse me or I don't endorse them in any way, shape or form but we buy them and they're absolutely yum. Yes, um, I've I think had it's them. the it's a red label and we get yeah. their chilli sauerkraut and it's yes. absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah it's great. yum. Yeah, yeah. And it's lovely. Just a little, you know, dessert spoon of that with your sandwich or, you know, as an accompaniment to some lunch item. It's lovely. Um, and then things like nuts, which we, you know, we didn't traditionally eat in Ireland. I think we're getting better at including those on the porridge and, you know, over the salads, scattered over the salads in the roasts, nut roasts and things like that. They're really good. And a lot of people think, oh, no, they're high in calories. I can't have them. They're really high in fat. Not a good idea. That's a complete myth. Most nuts have monounsaturated or polyunsaturated, the good type of fats, and they are calorific. So it's just about portion control if you're mm -hmm. inactive. So if you're so inactive, so it's not the whole bag of cashew nuts. It's no. like the, it's the the, the palmful, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can easily eat, you can easily eat six hundred to a thousand calories if you're not paying attention. You know, in the car is the worst space for that. Sitting in traffic, you just keep eating away at the bag of nuts and before you know they're gone. It's like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, but um. A small, you know, a small handful is about 28 grams. And that's really a, a very healthy, high protein, high fiber snack, as opposed to some of the things that people find in the vending machine in the office. Not a good idea. Yeah. You've sold this to our listeners. You've sold it to me. And I've I've heard loads of new stuff that I hadn't heard before. Um, you make it seem really simple. You make it seem very easy. It's basically eating more plant-based stuff, the flexitarian diet, eating a bit less meat. Um, fruit, nuts, veg with pretty much every single meal and varying your diet and get lots of fish in um, yeah. I suppose they're the synopsis um, there's loads of recipes in the book I cooked one or two of them a few weeks ago they were yum uh, the, the book is Mediterranean Mood Food it's available in Eason's or on Amazon you know you know, and I think some even some workplaces now they're running workshops um, in the in the workplaces now in corporates so a lot of those corporates are buying some of the books for their Great. employees which I'm delighted with and if people want to follow you on so on, online or 
on social media or where can they contact you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm, I'm not terribly good at social media, but I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn and also Twitter, probably, you know. So, uh, yeah, just join me wherever you wherever you find me. And um, yeah, I throw out a lot of information from other people as well as um, those that are really interested in the microbiome. So, you know, it would be an area of interest to me. Cool. And people are searching for you as Paula M-double-E, not M-E. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> just in case their listeners mix it up. Paula Me, thank you so much for coming into the Real Health Podcast. The very best of luck with the new book. And it's been great catching up with you. Um, it's been a long time in the seat, so it's great to catch up. And thank you for all the content. Thank Folks, you. that is another episode of the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare. I really hope you enjoyed that. It's simple. It's easy. Uh, apply those principles for the couple of weeks and just watch what happens. As ever, we shall see you next week with another great episode. Thanks for listening. It's long before. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.